Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, here on a beautiful Thursday morning, just a few days before Kirk Cousins and the 6-1 Minnesota Vikings head in to face the 4-4 Washington Commanders, led by Taylor Heineke, on a three-game win streak. This has been a heck of a week. I last talked to you guys on Monday. A lot has happened in the last 48 hours. We're going to get in to William Jackson being traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a bag of jelly beans. We're going to get we're gonna into the potential sell of the franchise that came out yesterday in a, in a massive Forbes report. And of course, Chase Young, number 99, back at practice in Ashburn. It's been a huge last few days. I want to start, however, with Chase Young and the importance of him being back at practice. Now, we will get on later in this episode as far as a full offensive and defensive preview of the Minnesota Vikings. That w- that's what we do here on every single Thursday leading up to Sunday. But this is super important to Washington's performance ceiling as a defense and getting Chase back healthy and out on the football field for the first time in over a year. Following that nasty ACL injury that he had last year after 2020 season that saw him win Defensive Rookie of the Year where he was absolutely outstanding. And you look at Washington's front four right now and how successful they've been able to be in these first eight games of the season. John Allen, Deron Payne, don't care what you think, they're playing in our all-pro level. Don't care what other media individuals are saying, other entities around the industry. John Allen and Deron Payne are playing at an all-pro level, both of them right now. And then you look at Montez Sweat, someone that I've talked about a ton on this podcast as far as expecting a lot more out of him. And he is someone last few weeks, you saw it against Green Bay, you saw it against Tennessee, he wasn't the most impactful rusher in the win over the Colts, and he was good against Chicago, but he at spurts this year has been absolutely dominating, just racking up pressure after pressure, after pressure, making plays within the flat area of the defense, outside the tackles, wrangling guys down for TFLs, just consistently being able to push the pocket on passing downs and wrangle down ball carriers when they're coming his way and they want to go to the outside or press that that five hole, the inside shoulder of that left tackle if he's aligned there. So he's just been number 90, really a tip of the cap for him just in this last month of the season because he is someone... When they drafted Chase Young, it was, man, they got Montez Sweat and Chase Young going to come off the edge for the next five to seven years, hopefully, in Washington. And yeah, they've had their instances where it's been Sweat or it's just been Chase Young and very limited work they've seen with them together. And they really have not reached their performance ceiling together as a unit yet. I would love for them to continue to progress and become that dominant edge duo that we would hope to see them become Chase Young, first rounder at Ohio State, Montez Sweat, first rounder at Mississippi State. We've seen the impact that John Allen and Deron Payne, two first rounders out of Alabama, have had for multiple years now within the interior. Getting Chase Young back in any capacity, whether it is 
20% of the snaps this week or moving into next week, or it's 70% of the snaps. He's, he talked yesterday after practice for the first time in the media in a long time, how healthy he feels, how happy he is to be back on the sideline with his brothers and getting back to work within the trenches. We see how much of a leader he is on the sideline each and every week. Now that he's going to be strapped up and within the trenches and rushing a passer, he's going to get looks from opposing offensive lines that want to double him, that want to chip him with a tight end, that want to chip him with a running back before going out in the flat areas. This is huge for Washington's defense. I don't expect him to come in and be a guy in these this last back half of the season now to have 10-11 sacks. Does he have the talent to do so? Absolutely. Chase Young is the one of the most purely fundamentally talented defenders in the entire league and one of the most talented defenders to enter the league in some time coming out of Ohio State as, as an absolute freak of nature that was quote-unquote built in a lab. He's an absolute freak of nature in his ability to push the passer. Now, is he going to be able to be the same Chase Young that we saw in 2020? I hope so. You know, I don't want the after effects of that ACL to linger. We saw him have the big brace on his knee yesterday. I want him to be back to 100%. I want Chase Young to become that dominant force that we've talked about him becoming for a long time. To the level of a TJ Watt, a Nick Bosa, a Miles Garrett. We've seen what Micah Parsons has been able to progress into in Dallas. I want Chase Young to be that for this defense because you got the guys in the middle and Alan Payne consistently doing their job and pushing the pocket. Montez Sweat is living up to expectations as of right now. Not everything is about sack numbers, but his pressure rate remains one of the top in the NFC among edge rushers, and his pressures are up there as well. Now you slot in number 99, former number two overall pick on the other side. Whether he's a DPR right now as a designated pass rusher and he works on limited snaps, it is going to be huge to have him on the football field, especially when teams get into those third and seven, third and eight, long down in distances when Sweat and Young are going to be able to pin their ears back and flat out push the pocket. So I'm extremely excited for Chase Young to be back at practice. It is huge for the overall performance ceiling of this defense. I'm sure Ron Rivera is extremely happy to see 99 back on the field with all of the talent that he has within that front four. I hope he will be active Sunday against the Vikings. I'm not sure. We will see. Again, I'm recording this on Thursday morning. So the first injury report came out yesterday. Chase Young obviously was not on it. He's back and he's healthy. And that's a positive moving forward for whether he plays against the Vikings or he moves it forward to next week when Washington faces the Philadelphia Eagles. On Monday night in Philadelphia, which was supposed to be Carson Wentz's long sought-after return to Philadelphia, obviously he will not play. It will be most likely Taylor Heineke leading the charge for Washington and Philadelphia. But, you know, primetime matchup, a division. You're able to win against the Vikings this week, get to 5-4. and four. That's a heck of a ball game you got next week heading into Philly. And, it, you know... A very tough atmosphere to win football games on Monday night. We'll get to that next week. But these next few weeks for Washington really going to tell a story of their season. Are they going to continue to win ball games? Are they going to stay competitive? Are they going to stay competitive and win or stay competitive and lose ball games? So this next month of the campaign is going to be huge as Washington obviously looks to stay alive, not just in the division, but in the wild card race. As it looks right now, wild card spots are going to come out of the NFC East. So let's transfer over 
talk about William Jackson. Not going to spend too much time on William Jackson, someone that didn't want to be in Washington anyway, but I want to talk a little bit about the comments that Ron Rivera made towards the process to bring William Jackson in. And they gave him $40 million, and luckily they were able to get out of the contract, basically sold him off for a, a William Jackson to Pittsburgh with a late day three pick, and in return you get a conditional sixth rounder in 2025. Folks, that's absolutely nothing. Now, we'll see who that pick turns into, whether they package that pick in the future for someone else. Who knows, right? That is years down the road as far as, you know, picking in 2025 in the sixth round. You know, it could be a guy like in this year in, in the sixth round or seventh round. It could be a guy like, like a Chris Paul or Christian Holmes type of player down the road. But basically, you offloaded William Jackson's contract for nothing. And the Steelers need help at corner. They're desperate for help at corner. And this is someone in William Jackson that flat out just didn't want to play. And he's going to complain about scheme. And he's a man corner and Washington runs zone, even though Washington sits in the top half of the league as far as percentage and running man, man coverage on the outside. <laughs> it's, it's really funny considering William Jackson. Well, he just got every single week he was getting beat on the outside. It was William Jackson. It was Kendall Fuller. It was William Jackson, Kendall Fuller. Then he's complaining about his back, and he's saying, oh, my back's bothering me, so I'm going to sit out. And oh, and then I want to be traded. It's a joke, first off. The whole process has been a joke, and his tenure in D.C. has been a flat-out joke. And is it is it prima donna-like? I would say so. Yeah. Not playing well, so you're going to fake a back injury and you want to get out because you're quote-unquote not a, a zone corner. Okay, sure. Have, have fun in Pittsburgh. Have fun covering T. Higgins every week and having to face you know Rashad Bateman, hopefully, when he gets healthy in Baltimore and covering Amari Cooper in Cleveland. You know, it's just William Jackson, when he was in Cincinnati, he did that. And he was a man corner, and I, I'm even myself. I was decently excited about William Jackson coming into this Washington defense and being that legit CB one, but it never worked out. And I don't think it was because he is a man corner. Every corner in the league has to play man and zone. There's not a single defense in the NFL that plays just man or just zone. Every defense does something different on the back end of different plays. And it dictates that from the defensive coordinator that you're working under. Now in Washington, we understand. We've talked a lot about it with Jack Del Rio playing a little bit too much zone. But usually, you play a lot of zone to make it easier on your corners on the outside to work downhill and make plays on the football. Because you got decent safeties in Cam Curl, one of the top safeties in all of football. Bobby McCain that understands how to play the roof of the defense. He's not a world beater by any means. But he understands that the optics of playing the safety position at the NFL level. We've seen the plays that Derek Forrest hasn't been able to make, especially coming downhill into the box. But for William Jackson and how this ended, to really fake a back injury for the contract that he received just a few years ago was really disappointing. Because he was supposed to be that CB1. But best of luck to him on the other side of the hedge now in Pittsburgh. It is now going to be Kendall Fuller and Benjamin St. Juice on the outside with Rashad Wild Goose inside at the slot, which we've seen 
for the last few weeks. So now I want to transfer over, transfer over to the major news that came out yesterday uh, from Forbes, potentially talking about how Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Commanders, and Tanya Snyder, his wife, talking about how they hired Bank of America Securities to, to quote-unquote think about transactions and ponder some transactions about potentially selling the Washington Commanders. And obviously this is huge news. Humongous news. Now, I will say, sit here myself. Again, I've told you guys this. I try as much as possible to stay away from the talk outside of football because I am not a beat writer for the team. I'm not instructed to cover every single news for Washington. I used to work for the team and Mr. Snyder used to pay for my checks. You know, he signed my checks. The man paid me for a few years when I was in Washington. So I try to stay away from that conversation as much as I can. However, this is huge news because we know the turmoil. I lived it in Ashburn of what is going on inside the walls of Ashburn and the relief of pressure if Snyder were to sell the team. This franchise has needed a breath of fresh air for a long time into the lungs of this organization. And I will say, take it with a grain of salt. Is it big news? Absolutely. But until Daniel Snyder is out, take it with a grain of salt. Because it seems like every single day or every single week, every single month, we hear something new surrounding the cogs up top, the brain trust of this organization, something new comes out that's quote-unquote major news. Whether a transaction means he's going to sell the entire thing, sell a minority stake. Now, from what I've heard, I do not see him selling a minority stake. We understand that Snyder is, is very power-hungry. He wants that power. He likes having the power of being in control. So from a minority standpoint, I know there were some reports flying around yesterday that could potentially be thinking about selling a minority stake and hiring a minority owner. I do not see that happening. It's either the whole enchilada or nothing. That's what I see right now for this Washington franchise. But it's obviously going to be a humongous story because just in the last 48 hours, you trade William Jackson, you got Chase Young back at practice, and then that news drops. Literally, within the hour of Chase Young returning to practice, the Forbes report dropped. It's never a slow day in Washington. And ladies and gentlemen, we would never have it any other way, would we? Any other way. It's what comes along with being a fan of the Burgundy Gold and in the nation's capital. And it doesn't matter if this team is 17-0 or 0-17. There's constant news flying around this football team, whether it's in between the hashes, in the owner's box, inside Ashburn. It doesn't matter. There's always news to talk about with this football team. But now, I want to stick to football. And I want to talk about a massive week for this franchise with the Minnesota Vikings coming to town. 6-1 and one Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. They just traded for TJ Hawkinson, a dynamic player at the tight end position. We will see what his workload is like this week. I don't think he will be a heavily featured weapon in this offense. He's still learning the playbook. However, if you just need TJ to run five-yard dig routes or find the soft spot in zone over the middle of the field because we know Washington is weak from a depth perspective, 
at the linebacker position. Cole Holcomb didn't play last week. He did not practice Wednesday. David Mayo got his snaps last week, and David Mayo didn't play yesterday. They just, act, excuse me, he didn't practice yesterday. He They activated DeJon Harris from the practice squad today, and they signed Nathan Gary back to the practice squad. So Washington's shuffling bodies at the linebacker spot, and really you don't want to have Jamin Davis covering TJ Hawkinson. Last week we saw Jamin work a ton over Naheem Hines, running back for the Colts in space. Maybe they ask Percy Butler. They ask Derek Forrest to roll down. Cam Curl, same thing, and cover TJ. He doesn't need to understand the full playbook. But calling the plays for Minnesota is now head coach Kevin O'Connell. Familiar name in Washington. Was I thought he was someone that could have been the head coach in D.C., during his tenure in Washington as a young, offensive-minded head coach who's now led the Vikings to a 6-1 record. No, it hasn't. everything hasn't been pretty for them. A lot of one-score wins for them, but they had a lot of one-score losses last year. Believe it, they had eight of them last year. Now they're turning the tide a little bit and flipping the script to where those games they lost last year, they're now winning them. And they're one of the top teams in the NFC and really the NFL as a whole with just one loss. Now, you can kind of play into it as far as they're really a contender or they're a pretender. We'll see that in the next month of the campaign for them as well. And I'll get into kind of their schedule as a potential looking over Washington. They, they travel to Buffalo after they come to D.C. this week. And then they host Dallas the following week at home. So this is a very good scenario for Washington with Washington being in the foreground and you got Buffalo on the horizon and Dallas the following week. This is a very good chance for a case to where Minnesota is going to overlook Washington and trying to prepare for Buffalo. It happens all the time, looking over opponents, playing down to opponents. And I don't want to say Minnesota is going to play down to Washington because I think us with the commanders have a lot of talent and you're playing good football and momentum is scary in sports. I don't care what the record is of the Minnesota Vikings. You still got to beat your man lined up face-to-face, one-on-one, nose-to-nose every single week for you to win football games. And I'm going to get into the offense here in a second, specifically the interior offensive line, where again, Washington will have an advantage when you're facing guys like Ezra Cleveland and Garrett Bradbury. So let's get into the Minnesota offense, led by Kirk Cousins, a familiar name, obviously, a guy here in Washington that Washington selected back in 2012 and obviously made a nice career for himself. When he came in to replace RG3, Washington didn't want to pay him. He was here a couple years in the franchise tag. Then he went to Minnesota and has had a good career. Damn good career for Kirk Cousins. He's not a world beater. I use that term a lot. He's not the, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL. But he's someone that understands how to deliver downfield on time, usually with accuracy. But if you put him in situations like we saw him here in D.C. that ask him to win football games for you, usually that results an interception. I know you guys still remember the game against the, the Giants when he threw it late over the middle of the field and Dominique rogers Cromarty sealed that win for the Giants and Washington had to win a football game to get in the playoffs. Still remember that game like it was yesterday. So forcing Kirk Cousins with bodies around his feet, he's not going to be dynamic like a Jalen Hurts or even as dynamic as we saw Sam Ellinger be last week a little bit outside the pocket. He's not going to want to run. He wants to sit in between the tackles and deliver downfield to guys like Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, and obviously his brand new sparkling Ferrari as that flex weapon, and T.J. Hawkinson. So you look at their running backs, a dynamic group. 
Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. They drafted Kenne and Wangwu uh, in the fourth round in 2021. He's more of a special teams guy, a, a elite speed guy. Um, but Dalvin Cook's one of the top backs in the NFL. Um, whether he's working out in space on passing downs or he's holstering the workload in between the tackles. He is one of the best pure backs in the NFL, has been for some time after they used a second rounder on him five years ago in 2017 out of Florida State. And then Alexander Madison is a guy that I know some of you were clamoring for Washington to make a move even last year with the, the fumbles that Antonio Gibson had. Now, obviously, you know, you, Washington has a nice trio with, with Gibson and Robinson and McKissick now in the building. But Alexander Madison, when Dalvin Cook was hurt these last few years, has been someone that's obviously capable enough of handling that RB1 workload. And not just just handling it, but producing, competing his tail off, uh, and putting up numbers, and getting in the end zone when he has the opportunity. He has not received a ton of opportunity this year. He does get some carries each week, about five to eight carries each week. Obviously, Dalvin is their bell cow. He will be on the field for 75-85% of the snaps this week. That's what Dalvin's workload is. You're going to see a ton of that. They feed off of Cook. And what I mean by that is they're going to get the ground game going, which opens up play action, which we know Kevin O'Connell likes to run, did it in his time, coordinating with Jay Gruden here in Washington, opening up that play action, making things easy for Kirk Cousins once those linebackers begin to suck up into the line of scrimmage to prepare for Dalvin Cook. Then you're going to hit TJ Hawkinson. They're going to try to hit shot plays down the field with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. KJ Osborne can run a little bit. He's a bigger, bit of a bigger body. That's going to present some struggles on the outside. But really, it starts and stops with Justin Jefferson, one of the elite wide receivers in our game today. And it's, it's crazy to say, considering just how young that Justin Jefferson is, this is only still his just his third year after the use of first-round pick on him in 2020 out of LSU and that dominant Joe Burrow-led LSU National Championship team, one of the most historic offenses to ever play in, in the college game. Um, that we've seen. Jefferson is one of the elite separators. And what I mean by that is the ability to create separation off of the line of scrimmage. Um, the ability to jump to the outside, jump to the inside, press vertical, stack guys, restack corners. You got Kendall Fuller and you got Benjamin St. Just. Am I worried this week that Justin Jefferson may go off for 200 yards and two touchdowns? I am. Um, he is Again, one of the most purely gifted receivers in the league. He's not the most physical. He's not the most physically overpowering. He's not a DK Metcalf. He's not an AJ Brown as far as a physically overpowering individual and wild on the outside. But he's someone that is slippery, oily in his route running, excellent hands, can cut off routes in a moment's notice, and makes every single route look the same. doesn't matter if he's running a five-yard slant or he's running a 40-yard nine route down the boundary. Every single route looks the same for Justin Jefferson. And he's fantastic on the outside. And now it's just about limiting his production, hopefully holding him under 110, 120 yards and keeping him out of the end zone this week. Make Thielen, make Osborne, make rookie Jalen Naylor, who they drafted out of Michigan State in the sixth round this year. Make him beat you. Those are the guys that you want to beat. It's it's very easy. It's much easier said than done because I just talked about the prowess that Kirk Cousins has at quarterback and Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison and they traded for TJ Hawkinson and they got Jefferson and Thielen on the outside. There's been a dynamic duo together even though Jefferson is 
their wide receiver one. And, and arguably, it depends on who you ask, the potential wide receiver one in the entire NFL. But the offensive line is where the game will be won or lost. And I know we get so caught up in the sexy positions of the NFL with guys on the outside and how high octane a lot of these offenses are in the league. And the name that is Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. But football, since it was when it first started back in the 1900s, it's one in between the trenches. That's where games are won and lost. You can look back to the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and their high-powered offense against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a perfect example. And the ability to get after the passer. And Kirk Cousins is by no means, like I said, a dual-threat weapon. Outside of the pocket, outside of structure, off script, making throws on the run downfield. That is not his game. It is going to be paramount for Washington's defensive line against guys from left tackle to right tackle. Christian Derisaw, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury, rookie Ed Ingram at right guard, and right tackle Brian O'Neill. There's a lot of names on this front five, and I want to start with Christian Derisaw, a local kid for you guys familiar, out of Virginia Tech. They spent a first rounder on him last spring in 2021, been one of the best tackles in all of football. Dealt with some injury concerns last year. Now he's been absolutely dominant at left tackle. So he's going to see Montez Sweat. He's going to see Casey Tuhill. On the opposite side, hopefully it is Chase Young, F.A. Obata, Shaka Tony, James Smith-Williams. That rotation of guys is going to have to stay fresh because Darisol is a heck of a left tackle. And at right tackle, Brian O'Neill, above average tackle in this league. A, a guy that's been super underappreciated Still decently young in this league, second rounder in 2018, so he hasn't even played. You know, this is his fifth year in the league. Someone that really doesn't get a ton of appreciation, but he's absolutely fine protecting that arm side of Kirk Cousins. But in the middle is where my questions arise for Minnesota. Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury at center, who I I thought he would be much better as a pro. Coming out of NC State back in 2019, someone that showcased very, very smooth feet. A lot like Dylan Parham, who's had a great rookie season for Las Vegas within the interior. Very smooth feet for a big man, but really has been bullied around since he's been thrown in and started at center for Minnesota, both playing guard and center. Has not been good. And we understand the importance of a center within an offense. We saw Washington chase lose Chase Roulier this year and the injury concerns that he had last year as well. Losing the anchor of your offensive line at center is huge. Or having a bad player at center is huge. Garrett Bradbury is not an average center in this league. He's a below average center in this league. So, Deron Payne and John Allen, another week to push the pocket. Left guard, Ezra Cleveland, second rounder in 2020, a below average guard in this league. Right guard, Ed Ingram, Rookie out of LSU, a second rounder from this year. I thought he's been fine. I, I think he's been absolutely fine at right guard. Is he going to dominate you, pushing you four or five yards up the line of scrimmage? I sure as I sure as hope hope not. Not this week with Payne and Allen within the middle. I hope not. Can't happen. But he's been fine. And, and a guy that's come in from LSU, played with SEC competition every week for multiple years down there. That's why you see a lot of NFL teams draft guys out of the SEC, not just because it's a high-level conference. It's because guys face NFL-level talent each and every week. So Ed Anger right now has made a nice transition 
from playing at LSU to the interior of this Minnesota line where they do look to feed Dalvin Cook 25 times a game. That is going to be their recipe for success, testing Washington's front seven, forcing guys like Jamin Davis, and we will see if Holcomb or Mayo are able to play this week, but it's going to be guys like Dejon Harris and a lot of Derek Forrest in the box this week if Holcomb and Mayo aren't able to go working alongside Jamin Davis. And heck, we may even see John Bostic. I sure hope not, ladies and gentlemen, at the middle of this defense alongside Jamin Davis. But Minnesota is going to test Washington up the middle before they really start slinging it around with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. So let's hop over to the defensive side of the ball and a defense that it's, it's not a crazy successful defense, not a ton of names, an average defense in this league. It's been keeping Minnesota in games. I mean, their offense is scoring upwards of, of 30 points a ball game in that 26 to 28 range. So they're scoring points every game, which hasn't forced Minnesota's defense to limit teams to under 15 or under 18, 19, or that 20-point threshold that we talk a lot about with Washington. But this is a team that has some players in the middle. They have run that 3-4, a little bit of hybrid that we saw. Some, like Indianapolis runs, are not as multiple as Indianapolis is, but Within the interior, it's Ross Blacklock, a guy that they traded from from Houston in the offseason, guy that was out of TCU. It's a big body, very physical. Nose tackle is Harrison Phillips, brought over from Buffalo, who had success with the Bills. And then Dalvin Tomlinson is that other uh, D-end and that three-man front, a bigger body. They used to be with the Giants. You guys are familiar. Kid out of Alabama. He's been in the league for a while. He was on the injury report on Wednesday. We will see if he's able to go. So, that's their front four. It's Blacklock, it's Harrison Phillips, it's Dalvin Tomlinson. And then you work outside, it's Daniil Hunter, a name that's been around for a long time. They spent a third rounder on him back in 2015 as a guy that's had a lot of success in the league. Bounce, kind of bounced in and out of that Vikings roster over the last few years, dealing with some off-the-field stuff. Jordan Hicks, weak side linebacker. Eric Kendricks is their middle linebacker. Still one of the best middle linebackers in football. Leads them in tackles. I will get to Zadarius Smith in a minute. I want to spend a little bit of time on him and how dynamic he's been for that, that front seven. Uh, rotationally, they drafted Brian Osamoa in the middle of their defense, third rounder out of Oklahoma this past year. Um, not a lot of snaps for him uh, so far within their defense. He's been a lot uh, on special teams, uh, on punt, on, on kickoff. That's where he's you know, made his money so far is, is for Brian Osamoa. I think he's a, a really good talent. I think he's a modern-day uh, potential three-down linebacker, that off-ball linebacker. You ask him to want, want to work in space. I think he's dynamic enough to do that. But they obviously have guys like Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks in the middle that make a ton of plays at the second level. But back to Zadarius Smith, a uh, guy that they that came over from Green Bay. He was with Green Bay opposite uh, Preston Smith and, and working with Rashawn Gary. We've, we've seen plenty of them this year. We talked about them before Washington beat Green Bay. But Zadarius Smith is playing at an absolute Pro Bowl level. level. He leads them in sacks with eight and a half in seven games. He's got 22 tackles. He's got 13 tackles for loss. 13 tackles for loss in seven games. Nearly two tackles for loss per ball game. He's been absolutely dynamic as a veteran in this league. He is someone that is absolutely outstanding uh, out, at outside linebacker. A, a true veteran, uh, a leader in the locker room for them, does absolutely everything. And it's going to be a big test for whoever aligns on that right side of Washington's offensive line, because we've seen it jumble around these last few weeks. Cornelius Lucas, Trey Turner, 
Sadiq Charles at right guard? Is Sam Cosme going to play? There are so many different variables with Washington's offensive line right now to where this is a guy that, before you know it, it could be like an Aiden Hutchinson first-half performance that we saw in Week 2 to where you look up before you know it, you know, you're, you're down 10, and Zadarius Smith has three sacks in the first half, and Taylor Heineke's on his back. So it's going to be very important for Washington to whether they want to put John Bates aligned to the right side of Cornelius Lucas to give him some help, whether they want to put Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson or J.D. McKissick as that extra help of chipping him off the line of scrimmage. A lot of different things that Scott Turner, you'll see him do this week to keep Zadarius Smith off of the sack sheet. And I think you're going to make, see a lot of him rushing twice this week. And what I mean by making him rush twice is shooting out that tight end or shooting out that running back at the onset of the play, chipping him, making him beat that blocker, then making his way to the offensive tackle. So you're having to beat two guys. And that's what I mean by rushing twice. So I would expect Scott Turner to do that a little bit this week. Working back to their secondary, they drafted Andrew Booth in the first round out of Clemson, excuse me, in the second round out of Clemson this past year. He was a first round talent and one of the most dynamic corners in college football last year. And then they also drafted, they drafted Lewis Seam, a safety out of Georgia, a dynamic downhill physical punch you in your face safety. That's out for the year. He's been, he suffered injuries a, a, a ton in the early part of this season that, you know, unfortunately he's been out uh, for games before this, and then now he'll be out for the rest of the season. I would have liked to see him play. Um, Lewis Seen is dynamic, uh, super physical, plays with a battery pack in his shoulder pads, and someone that you look for as a safety, a culture guy on the back end, because they have Harrison Smith, they have Patrick Peterson, an obvious veteran in this league, someone that they brought over from Arizona just a few years ago. But I would have loved to have seen Lewis Seen this week, but hopefully he gets healthy. You don't root for injuries for anybody, but hopefully he can get healthy because he's going to be a dynamic player in this league for a long time. But back to Andrew Booth, he doesn't play on the outside. He does not play. Um, I'm not going to dive into logistics as far as why he isn't playing. Um, that's a bit of a question. We talked about it last week with Nick Cross, safety in Indianapolis that lost snaps to a safety, rookie safety from Yale that we saw last week for the Colts. Andrew Booth plays on special teams. He's healthy. Had some injury concerns coming into the draft. He still was drafted on the sec- in the second round. He hasn't been playing on the outside. And this isn't a Viking secondary and a corners room that's dynamic by any means. Patrick Peterson is still their CB1. He's still chugging along. He may end up in Canton before, you know, when he calls it quits. He's been a dynamic corner for a long time in this league. Cameron Dantzler is their starting right corner guy that they use a third rounder back in 2020. Chandon Sullivan is their nickel corner. I talked a little bit about him when we previewed Green Bay. He's a good nickel corner. I thought he was someone that Washington could potentially target this year coming in and play in the slot um, if they wanted to try to get rid of Kendall Fuller moving into the season. Obviously, we haven't seen that happen. This is where Chandon Sullivan ended up and, and staying in the NFC North with some Minnesota Vikings playing that nickel spot. I think he's a good corner. Uh, he's not a crazy good corner. I don't think he's better than Kenny Moore that we saw last week as a corner for Indianapolis. But he's a good corner, and he plays that nickel spot for this Vikings defense. Rotationally, a Caleb Evans is a kid that they drafted out of Missouri in the fourth round this year. And then on the right side is Chris Boyd, a seventh rounder back in 2019 as a special teams guy. That's their rotation of corners. So we will see if, if, if Deami Brown's able to play and Jahan Dotson. Jahan didn't practice again yesterday. I'm 
it's unfortunate. It's really getting, it really stinks. It flat out stinks that we have not seen Jahan Dotson for, for almost a month now playing in this Washington offense because I would like to see him start to develop a rapport with Taylor Heineke. We've seen the rapport that Heineke has with, with Terry McLaurin. Gotta get Jahan back on the football field, especially with weeks like this to where Patrick Peterson's not going to be able to hold Terry McLaurin one-on-one. Again, not many guys in the NFL that, that could hold Terry McLaurin one-on-one. I don't think there's a single guy. Right, we saw it last week, Stephon Gilmore trying that at the goal line. How'd that work out for him? I, I think you could tell me. And then Cameron Dantzler, no shot. So at, at safety, I like Harrison Smith. He's been in the league for a long time. You know, this is, a, is, is his 11th year in the league. Guy they took in the first round out of Notre Dame back in 2012. So he's been in the league for a long time, but a veteran on the back end. Just a lot like Bobby McCain is. That leader at the roof of the defense is not afraid to stick his face in the mud and make plays downhill. So Washington gets back Logan Thomas this week. They're targeting Armani Rodgers over the middle field or John Bates. He's going to be that guy that's going to be making plays over the middle of the field. And Harrison Smith, just like Patrick Peterson, I don't think he has an exact clear route to Canton, but he's been someone that's been a heck of a ball player and a heck of a career for Minnesota as their strong safety. Cameron Bynum, is their free safety, a guy that they took out of Cal in the fourth round and back in 2021. Played a little corner at Cal. Now he's playing safety. Kind of the guy that can play that hybrid spot. We saw a little bit of that with Dax Hill from this past year and Michigan. Playing corner, playing nickel. You can play outside, play inside, roll back and play safety. Cameron Bynum can do a little bit of that. He's not uh, an outstanding football player by any means. He's not a dynamic athlete at the roof of the defense. Um, again, but this secondary isn't going to scare anybody, especially Washington's offense. Excuse me. I think Scott Turner is going to take a ton of shots. Now, they're going to be calculated shots because Harrison Smith and Patrick Peterson are guys that have been in the league and seen every single offensive concept and faced every single tier one wide receiver you could think of in the last decade of the NFL. So I think shot plays will be taken. They're going to be calculated shot plays this week from Scott Turner. And I think Washington's going to try to run the ball. they got to run the ball with some success so you're not forcing Taylor Heineke into throwing it 35, 40 times. You're forcing him to throw for over 330 yards and three or four touchdowns to keep you in a football game. So that is the Minnesota Vikings. Six and one. They're playing well. They're winning close football games. Now they have to travel on the road. Kirk Cousins back at FedEx Field. It's going to have some steam around it. Big time football game. Is Washington going to go to 5-4? and four? Are they going to go to 4-5? and five? It's just a huge week. So that's going to wrap it up for today's pod. One of the longer pods of this year, but lots to talk about. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a review, share, subscribe. I always appreciate it. All my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. You can follow me on Twitter if you don't already, underscore Ryan Fowler. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy your college slate. We got number two, Georgia, against number one, Tennessee, the college football playoff rankings came out this past week on Tuesday. Tennessee, number one team in the country. Georgia, number two. They play this week. Heck of an SEC matchup and a ton of names to look out for from a draft perspective. I'll give you a few. Tennessee quarterback, Hendon Hooker. Wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt. Offensive tackle, Darnell Wright. For Georgia, big boys up front. Jalen Carter. You got Keely Ringo. Corner, potential top corner in this class on the outside. Tyke Smith, safety. Christopher Smith, safety. Plays that star role for Kirby Smart's defense. Cedric Van Pran plays center for that Georgia front. So many names. And haven't even mentioned 
guy like Brock Bowers at tight end. Probably going to be a early day one pick next year. Wish this, wish this kid was eligible this year. And then you got big Darnell Washington, a massive 6'7", 250-pound tight end that they also have to work alongside Bowers at the tight end position. There's a ton of names to look out for this week in that ball game, and of course throughout the entire college football slate. But enjoy Saturday. Enjoy the NFL slate on Sunday. Again, Minnesota Vikings at Washington Commanders, 1 o'clock at FedEx Field. A huge game for Washington, potentially reaching their ceiling this year and continuing their win streak. Get to four wins. Let's make it happen. Big week. Kirk Cousins coming in, 6-1. and one. All the attention is going to be on Minnesota. They're favored in the ball game, even though Washington is at home. Pack the place. I'm excited. I'm excited. We're off three wins. Let's get it to four. Let's keep this hot streak going. I would like to see Chase Young healthy and potentially out there. We will see if that happens. Taking it slow. I appreciate the medical staff for Washington taking it slow with Chase Young. I really do. But I would like to see him on the football field here sooner rather than later. So as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy the game on Sunday at 1 o'clock. I will talk to you on Monday. Full recap of Vikings at Commanders. Here is to positive vibes and to talk to you on Monday with a four-game win streak as Washington heads in to a Monday night showdown with the Philadelphia Eagles next week. So, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Always appreciate your time. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Command in the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.